Well, good evening and welcome back. We're glad you're here. Got a lot of guests tonight, folks that uh, I heard they came because our water fountain's working. Well, we've got some of these guests, but we're glad you're here, whatever reason you came for. All right, Toby's out of town and asked me to fill in and asked me if I'd stay on track uh, with his lessons on John. So he wants to finish it by the end of this year, so he asked me if I'd keep working through it, and he's ready for about chapter 16. And so I will endeavor to stay on track. We'll almost stay on track. In fact, we could have stayed on track if he hadn't given me the chapter that's got the heading in it that says, The Work of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) That is not a 30-minute topic. (laughs) It's not a two-week topic either, but we're going to kind of glaze over it quickly. Uh, But we can't do it (laughs) just tonight. So tonight and... Next week will be part one and part two of the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so let me back up a little bit. Let me back up about 200 years, and then we'll come look at what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. A uh, little history here. Most of you, many in this crowd anyway, know pretty much all the details of the restoration movement where Churches of Christ came from and what we're about and what our restoration plea is. Uh, that all began in the early 1800s. Well, it didn't all begin, but the most recent example of it began in the early 1800s. And kind of an amazing thing happened in America. Uh, of course, there were all kinds of denominations, and Christianity was split into a thousand pieces. And... For some reason, and I think I know some of the reasons, in early 1800s in America, a unity movement, if you will, kind of arose on its own. Uh, I think one of the reasons was that the people that came over here from Europe and other places uh, were pioneers. You didn't just take off and cross the ocean to start a new life unless you had a kind of a pioneering spirit. Uh, So I think all those guys that came over were pretty adventuresome and did things on their own and didn't take orders from anybody. And I think the other thing that caused it was a lot of the preachers, the pastors and missionaries and whatever you want to call them that came over uh, in those early years of America, Uh, they found out a completely different thing than being in their own country with their own denominational headquarters. It was a whole different thing to be out on the the, the frontier uh, trying to pastor a Methodist flock or a Presbyterian flock or a Baptist flock and not having any headquarters anywhere. Uh, It was a whole different ballgame. So among those guys in all denominations... A number of them started kind of all at the same time uh, to preach a message, to start to think about a message anyway, that all of this division's crazy. You know, we're all, we're out here on the frontier and I've got my little group of Methodists and he's got his little group of Presbyterians and this doesn't make sense. You know, we got a bunch of people trying to be Christian out here and this is difficult. (laughs) 
And so they started thinking about how do we get together? How could we be unified? I all believe in Christ. Why couldn't we be unified? And the answer they pretty well all came up with was what divides us is all these doctrines of men and, and creeds and headquarters and denominations. If we just didn't do that, maybe we could be unified. So they came up with the idea of they called instead of reforming the church like Luther and some had tried to do a few hundred years before, they decided that let's restore the church. And they came up with a few slogans about how they'd do that. We'll just uh, do Bible things in Bible ways. We'll speak where the Bible speaks and we'll be silent where the Bible's silent. And I had a number of ideas like that uh, that they tried to put into place, and pretty soon they started discovering each other. And so from all that, a lot of people got together and unified and began the restoration movement. They called themselves just Christians. After a few years, they started to call themselves the Church of Christ because that was a biblical term, and they wanted to speak where the Bible speaks and all of that. Uh, So anyhow, that happened in the early 1800s. Now, that's all just background in case you didn't know it. Uh, The two guys I want to talk about briefly, uh, one is Barton Stone. He was a big part of the Restoration Movement. He was Presbyterian, and he came over here and thought, this is crazy. You know, we've got to be, there's got to be a better way to do this. And so he started preaching, followed the Bible, uh, preaching revival kind of things. And he had great success, and lots and lots of people came to hear him preach, and lots of people responded to his gospel plea and his unity plea and all of that. His <coughs> his assemblies, his revivals, and the things he did were different than what we do today. They would make... A lot of folks in here are really nervous. They were pretty close to Pentecostal kind of things. Uh, and he talked about that in almost Pentecostal terms. And he talked about it as a movement of the Spirit. He talked about people who were converted as responding to the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, when he had a great revival like that, uh, he called it a spiritual outpouring, an outpouring of the Spirit. Uh, he and his followers uh, talked about miraculous works, about the Spirit doing miraculous things among Christians. Uh, they talked about healings. Uh, they were very open to that and very conscious of the Spirit's movements, what they attributed it to. So that was Barton Stone. Now, I think if you go in our library, you'll see some books up there that might be titled something about the Stone-Campbell movement, because the other fellow that I want to tell you about is Alexander Campbell. And Stone and Campbell were the pretty much the two big names in the Restoration Movement. Well, Alexander Campbell was also... A, formerly a Presbyterian. Uh, He had kind of got fed up with that and had tried to be a Baptist for a number of years uh, and 
uh, assembled with them and practiced that. He came over from Ireland in 1809, a very educated, very intelligent man, and finally kind of came to that point I was talking about where he thought, I'm, I'm going to be independent. I'm just going to be a Christian. So he also kind of had a group of followers that followed Alexander Campbell. Uh, Campbell was quite different than Barton Stone. Campbell was very logical. He was very reasoning. Uh, it was the time of the Enlightenment when people were figuring out what science was and thinking, we can figure anything out. We can solve things. A man's mind can figure things out. So Campbell was a great uh, into reasoning and logic and thinking, and uh, the mind of man could figure things out. He did not like emotionalism. Uh, that wasn't his thing. Uh, he thought Stone's revivals were too excessive. Uh, he fellowshiped Stone and got along with him fine and all that, but uh, he, he thought, no, that was just too much. Uh, from his writings, Campbell did admit that the Holy Spirit indwells Christians, and he talked some about uh, how the Spirit could work in Christians' lives, but he never talked about it much. He never talked about how. He just kind of stayed away from that. So those were kind of the two, not factions, but the, the, the sides of the beginnings of the Restoration Movement. Interestingly, in the late 20s and early 30s, 1820, 1830, uh, those two groups, despite a lot of their differences, and they had a lot of differences, uh, merged. They came together. They decided they were Christians and Christians only, and they could work together. And they did. Okay. Uh, now, what happened after that, we'll come back to in just a little bit. But having set that scene, let's just study the Scripture looking for what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. Okay. Uh, in chapter 16 there, we're going to go back a ways, but in 16, one of the first headings in that chapter, verse 4 or so, says the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, remember Jesus is talking to his apostles. Uh, this is the after the Last Supper. He's telling them that he's leaving. He's telling them uh, that he's going to be betrayed. He's, he's giving them all this information. And in the midst of all that, he begins to talk about the Holy Spirit. But to get not everything, but a pretty good flavor of what he said, let's go back to John chapter 7 first. And hopefully you have a Bible. If not, there's one in front of you there somewhere. John chapter 7, verse 37. Now, this is back when... Jesus was in his early preaching, and uh, he was at a feast in Jerusalem and all that. And verse 37 of John chapter 7 says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. 
Now this, John wants to explain this to us. John says, now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Okay. So Jesus stood up and said to everybody in the crowd, not just the apostles, he said to everybody, if you thirst, come to me and drink. And if you believe in me, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. And John said he was talking about the Spirit, who nobody had received yet because Jesus hadn't been glorified. Okay, but Jesus made that promise. He told everybody, if you believe in me, you're going to have something happening. The Spirit will be like living water pouring out of you. Okay, so... We don't know what that means right now, but that's what Jesus said. Okay, now go over to 14, which is chapter 14, which is still in this conversation with the apostles again. And let's look at verse 15. John chapter 14, verse 15. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is an amazing passage, and we'd have to study the Spirit for a few hours before we started to get all of the... The, the content there, but let's just hit the high points. Uh, Jesus was talking to his apostles, and he had told them he was leaving. And he said, I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper, the, another comforter, the paraclete is the Greek term. That he will be along beside you to help you. And then he said, even the spirit of truth. The world can't receive because it doesn't know him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And that last part, let me just throw in a little commentary. The apostles had seen the effects of the Holy Spirit. They saw Jesus doing miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was around because he was helping Jesus. And so Jesus said, you know him because he dwells with you. But he will be in you. He was warning them that things are going to change. You know about the Spirit now because he's been with you. You've seen his work and all that. But he's going to be in you. Okay. So Jesus has told them back in chapter 7 that the Spirit has some kind of life-giving power of all people. He's told the apostles here that... He was going to send the helper, the, the Spirit, and it would be in them. Whether he's talking specifically to the apostles or to all Christians, we can't really tell from that passage, but he's talking to the apostles. All right, now go down to verse 25 of chapter 14. And we're skipping over a lot of things that Toby's already covered here just to look at the, the Spirit parts. Verse 25 of chapter 14. He says, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. 
But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Okay? He's talking to the apostles here. He told them, I'm telling you some things while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, when he gets here, he'll teach you everything. Uh, and not only will he teach you all things, he'll bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Okay. Can you imagine working with a teacher for three years, just once a week in an hour class, and trying to remember everything he told you for three years? No, we can't, can't do that. Okay. These guys were with Jesus 24-7 okay, for three years about and can you imagine, without any help, how they would have done? Well, what do you think we ought to do about this, Peter? Well, John, didn't Jesus say so-and-so? No, he didn't say that. He said this. Yeah. They'd have got it all messed up. They still mess things up a little bit. But uh, Jesus promised them that the Helper was going to come, and the Helper would teach them all things, and he would remind them of everything Jesus had said. Now, let's get off of track and jump ahead a little bit. Did that happen? Yeah. What did the apostles do? They wrote the New Testament. Okay? They told the story of Jesus. They quoted him. They, they taught new things in the epistles to churches. Okay? The Spirit inspired them, empowered them to do that. So this promise came true in that sense, at least. Okay, so, so far we've got Jesus saying the Spirit will give you some kind of living power. Uh, the Spirit will indwell you. He will be in you, and he will teach you things, and he will bring to your mind things. Okay? Now, don't worry about whether this is just apostles or not yet. We're just seeing what Jesus said. Okay. Now let's go over to chapter 15. We're getting closer to where we're supposed to be tonight. <laughs> chapter 15, verse uh, 26. Jesus says something else. Chapter 15, verse 26, still talking to the apostles. He says, but when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Okay? So Jesus gives them the fourth piece of this puzzle, if you will. Uh, he's going to bear witness. The Spirit will do things, show things, make things happen that bears witness to Jesus and to God. Did that happen? Yeah, it started on the day of Pentecost. Some weird things happened that day. People knew God was doing something. Okay. So Jesus told them that when the Helper came, he would bear witness, and they were also going to bear witness. Okay, now down to... to, to, to finally, we get to chapter 16. Beginning about the middle of verse 4 there, it's... The work of the Holy Spirit is what the little heading says. 
Um, and let's just jump down to seven in the interest of time. And I hope you don't take this as disjointed as it is. Go home and read all of it. Put it together in peace. But we're just looking at the, the spirit parts here. Okay, verse 7 of chapter 16. Uh, Jesus says to the apostles again, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, the interesting part about that is not what he says the Spirit's going to do. He says the Spirit's going to convict the world. We'll have to figure that out next week. But he says it's going to convict the world. But the interesting part is he's telling them how important this is. See what he told them? He told them, it's good for you for me to go away, because if I don't go away, you don't get the Spirit. If I don't leave, you don't get the Helper. So this is a good deal you're getting. Do you follow that logic? Jesus is saying the Helper, the Spirit, is kind of going to be more important than the time we spent together. So he stresses the importance of the Spirit. So he's told them a number of things as we go through this passage. Uh, He talks a little bit more about him later, but those are the the main ones. So he's told them that the Spirit has some kind of life-giving power. And we know that's to everybody because he said it to everybody. He, He said the Spirit's going to indwell you. He's going to teach. He's going to witness. And he's going to convict So all those things are what Jesus said. Now, he didn't say anything about how all that was going to work. He just said it was going to happen. Now, let's go back to the restoration movement history story. I told you Stone and Campbell branches of the restoration movement got together. They began to worship together, function together, fellowship together, all of that. Campbell got more famous than Stone. He kind of took the preeminence. He kind of overshadowed Stone, and Stone kind of faded out. In fact, for years, even into the last century, people sometimes called people from our movement Campbellites as a derogatory term because Campbell was kind of the leader in in many ways, the most prominent uh, Person, but he kind of overshadowed Stone, and over the next 50 to 100 years, his effect, or maybe just happened otherwise, but probably because of his effect, there was less and less talk about the Spirit's activity. Stone's followers were, they talked about the Spirit all the time. They expected the Spirit to do things. When something happened, that's what they attributed it to, was the Holy Spirit working. After Campbell took preeminence and his teaching and his following and and all that, there was less and less mention of the Spirit's activity. And then as other things came up, it changed it even more to where 
we don't talk much about the Spirit today. Uh, one thing that came up was the error of Calvinism, and we've talked about that before in years past, and Calvin taught that man is so damaged by sin that we can't understand the gospel. Uh, our hearts are so marred by sin that it's impossible for a man to understand the gospel. He's got to have the Holy Spirit illuminate his heart. He needs a direct operation of the Holy Spirit on his heart before he can understand it. You see how far off that is from Campbell? Campbell said, we can figure things out. You know, mankind, you give them a Bible, they can figure out what God wants. Calvin said, no, man can't do that. Holy Spirit's got to work first. Okay. Well, Campbell and his followers uh, combated the error of Calvinism and pretty well got to the point where they had to say or did say that, no, man can figure it out by himself and there's no Holy Spirit needed. And that kind of edged on into other talk like that. Uh, at the start of the 20th century, Pentecostalism was come upon by some folks up the road in Topeka, I think it was, uh, and they started teaching the doctrine that uh, to be like the early church, we've got to do everything the early church did in Acts chapter 2. We've got to speak in tongues, we've got to do miracles, we've got to have healings, we've got to do those kind of things. Okay? Um, the 70s or so, 1970s, uh, that Pentecostal charismatic teaching uh, got over into mainstream churches and eventually into the Church of Christ, uh, neo-Pentecostalism we call it. Uh, there were people that started saying, okay, that sounds like a good idea. You know, we need to speak in tongues. Well, we need to do some things. The Spirit needs to move in the church. And the Church of Christ resisted that and taught against that error and moved just a little bit further away from talking about the Spirit at all. And I tell you that 200 years of history because after all that, from the way Barton Stone thought about the Spirit and preached about Him and talked about the Holy Spirit, there are many churches of Christ these days that will believe and will tell you they believe that the Holy Spirit only gave us the Bible. He gave us the Bible and that's it. That's the only way he works. He wrote the word for us and we can pick the word up and figure everything out. But don't attribute anything else to the Holy Spirit. Now, bear in mind, I, some of you are frowning at me. I, I haven't said whether any of this is right, wrong, or indifferent. I'm just telling you facts. Okay? Next week, we're going to try to figure out what the deal is. Because the history I've told you, and where we are today, where we don't even talk much about the Holy Spirit, compared to the verses that we looked at that Jesus told his apostles, the importance of the Holy Spirit and the things the Holy Spirit was going to do, 
I think we're a little out of balance somewhere. Yeah. I'm not saying I know how to fix it. I'm not saying I know all the answers. Uh, but to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, I can't just read you what Jesus said in John 14 and 15 and 16 and go home. Well, actually, I can, but I'm going to come back next week. <laughs> and we'll talk about it a little more. So next week we will come back and say, all right, what is the work of the Holy Spirit? Here's what Jesus said. Here's what we kind of think these days, but what's the rest of the Bible say about it? So we'll try to squeeze that into 30, 40 minutes next Sunday evening, Lord willing. So come back then. Uh, lesson is yours if you're here tonight and need to respond to the invitation in any way, maybe there's something in your life you need to talk to one of our elders about, or somebody if you need that, or if you're ready to put Christ on in baptism. The last two Sunday nights, we've had people put Christ on in baptism. So if that's what you need tonight, you're welcome to come. Let's stand and sing. I'll be down front. <laughs>